Last week, we talked about the difficulty of translating from one language to another. And often the challenge is that oftentimes the same word can mean different things depending on the context. For example, the English word love we use in many different ways. We refer to how we feel about God, about our spouse, also about how somebody's outfit looks. We use it all the same way, but we know it means very different things. But the words that we're talking about in this series are a little bit different. It's the challenge in that sometimes a language has so many layers of meaning to a particular word that there's just no way to come up with one single word that expresses well, regardless of the context. That there's layers upon layers that need to be understood if you're going to appreciate the word for what it means. Last week we focused on the Hebrew word chesed. And we talked about how it expresses well the idea of God's covenant love for the people of Israel and also for us and how we're called to have that same committed love to one another. But it took about 10 different adjectives in the whole book of Ruth to explain it. Now this week's word ruach is similar, but it's a little bit more straightforward. And to pronounce it, it's kind of like that chesed. It's got that ch sound in Hebrew that is a cross between the C and the H, and you get that guttural sound, and so this one ends with that ruach. So again, it'll wear my throat out if I keep saying that word, so I'm going to soften a little bit for my benefit, and maybe for yours as well. Ruach is used almost 400 times, actually more than the word chesed. And it's a word that is highly symbolic. Sometimes you say in the Bible that a word has a double meaning, especially in the Gospel of John, but it, in this instance, it almost has a triple meaning, that every time it's translated either wind or breath or spirit, you need to combine them all to fully appreciate the imagery that it's trying to share with us. And so it starts right off in the first chapter of Genesis. As Aaron read to you today, it uses the word wind to translate the ruach, and it describes, well, how God came to earth, and notice it doesn't describe the beginning, beginning, because there's something already there. Our Genesis story is trying to bring a sense that God is the source of all life, and his spirit, his ruach, brings that order to it, and describes it through the six days of his creation. And for the Jew... Ruach was a great way to understand God. They often use the name wind for God. God's invisible, mysterious, hard to see. You can see what he does, much like we watch a tornado that leaves a swath across the earth. So you can see what God does, even though you cannot see God himself. We see the sun, the moon, the stars, all of his creation. And yet you can't see God himself. As a matter of fact, if you read Exodus, it makes it very clear that we are not supposed to make any kind of images of God. The second commandment, you are not to make any graven images. And part of that's to distinguish Yahweh from all the other gods that people knew that were so limited and often just anthropomorphic. But it's also to get across the idea that God is the mysterious, that wind, that powerful force that's beyond any of our human understanding. And so... Very clearly, they were not to make any images. Besides, how do you make an image of the wind? It just really cannot be done. You can only do its effect. Matter of fact, 
if you went into the Jewish temple, the Holy Holies, you would find this. You, you would find in that what is a replica, you might say, of our chancel area in the sanctuary. There's no cross. There's no images. There's just simply the Ark, the covenant that sits on the top, two cherubim that have wings that are seven-foot wingspan, kind of a bird animal-like. But that was not an image of God. The Hebrews understood that their God was in the space between those two wings, the, the, the inch or two that was there. God is the air. And that's how they understood God. So Ruach is the wind. Then you go to the second chapter of Genesis and you discover a different understanding of Ruach. For it describes the creation of humanity. Now keep in mind, we have two creation stories. If you're a serious student in the Bible, you know that. You know the first creation story starts Genesis 1.1. It goes to the second chapter, verse 4. And then begins a new story written by a different writer in a different time with a different purpose. And it uses the story, the archetype story of Adam and Eve as the, the first of humanity and how their disobedience creates that separation between us and God. But it describes that first human being made, being shaped from the topsoil of the earth and formed almost like clay is shaped for a beautiful statue. And then what does it say? It says he, Ruach, he breathed into that clay and it came to life and became the first human being. That breath then is to be seen that no life exists without God's sustaining force. Not just in the beginning, but always. Every breath we take is important. Have you ever lost your breath? How many of you ever lost your breath somewhere? Yeah. Get your air knocked out of you or have some asthma issues or some other lung issues. It's a desperate feeling, isn't it? I remember when I was in high school and I was in... P.E., physical education, but we called it phys ed, right? And my favorite game in phys ed, and it seemed like we played it a lot. It was kind of the fallback game. I guess if the P.E. teacher didn't know what to do, we played dodgeball. And dodgeball, either you love it or you hate it, right? Well, I loved it. It's one of those games where you can be short and quick, and it works pretty well for you. So... I loved that game. I, I, was a, I was a small target, and I could stay low to the ground, and, and I could catch that ball. Well, sometimes the phys ed teacher would pit the seventh graders against the eighth graders, and this was junior high, so the seventh graders were the bottom feeders. But we happened to have a pretty athletic class of people, and so we, we often fared pretty well against the eighth graders. And there's one particular day we were doing particularly well, and I was having a pretty good game. And I knocked out some of their top players. And there was one guy who was kind of known as one of those eighth-grade bullies. I'd already knocked him out twice. And here we are again. And I've got the ball in my hands. He's 20 feet away from me. And he looks at me and says, don't you dare. Well, what would I do? <laughs> Intelligent person that I am, I threw the ball. And I got him right in the legs, and I was feeling pretty good about myself until he came after me with a closed fist. And he took a swing at me, and I, just in time, pulled my head out of the way so he didn't hit my face, and instead he hit my throat. And I reached up. I remember reaching up and feeling this Adam's apple, and I thought, 
oh my gosh, he's broke my neck. Because I couldn't breathe. I couldn't. My esophagus went into spasms and I could not get my breath for what seemed like eternity. And I'm laying on the ground and I must look pretty bad because that bully's looking over me. Are you okay? Are you okay? He thought he'd killed me. And finally my throat calmed down and I got my breath back. And somehow the phys ed teacher didn't see all that. And he was so concerned about it, I couldn't tell on him. So we had a newfound respect for each other. He never bothered me again. <laughs> but that desperation for air, that's how we should see everything that God gives us in life, to never take for granted all that he gives us. Because everything is that sustaining force, that ruach. There's another beautiful image in the Old Testament about this breath, this holy breath. It's described in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, you might have heard the, the Valley of the Dry Bones. And it goes back to the history of Israel when in 597 BCE they've been taken into exile into Babylon. They've been conquered. And they deported most of the leadership of the city of Jerusalem. And then about 10 years later, Jerusalem rebelled once again and they came and they destroyed the temple. They razed the town of Jerusalem and they took all the other remaining leaders back into exile, into a foreign land in Babylon. And that first wave of deportees was the prophet Ezekiel. God called him out and gave him a very special word that would bring hope back to the Jewish people because you need to understand this was just not a physical, material crisis. This was a crisis of faith because their faith was highly dependent upon the symbols of the temple, the city of Jerusalem, the Davidic monarchy, and their identity as a people of God. And now all that had been destroyed. And so in their understanding, in their rationality, they believed that the God of Babylon must be stronger than their God. And therefore, especially that they're now in a new foreign land, their God can do them no good. And so God gave these words, this poetic expression to Ezekiel to declare to them that, that God can be found anywhere. You notice it says that the God proclaims and he breathes and it comes from the four winds to represent the four corners of the earth that says to them that no matter where you are, God's breath will find you and fill you with life. And that prophecy was very important because it kept alive the Jewish faith in a foreign land until they were able to return and renew and restore the Jewish faith once again. This prophecy worked. So, Ruach represents the wind of God and his creative power. It represents the breath of God that brings us that sustaining power. But then if we're to fully understand what Ruach means, then we also need to understand that it is also spirit. And the 139th Psalm says it very well, that this spirit goes with us regardless of where we are, whether we're in the heavens or down to the grave. We're in the highest highs of life and the lowest lows. That spirit goes with us wherever we are. His presence is omnipresent. We've been talking as a church staff and as pastors that we'd love to, we're trying to create this culture where people are on the lookout for God at work in their lives. We'd like to get the point that people talk about it, whether you're in Bible studies or prayer groups or, or share your stories with the pastors so that we can relay some of those things that are happening in your life, even on Sunday morning to encourage one another because the reality is, God is at work. 
whether you realize it or not, God already loves you. He's already trying to bring good things in your life. We just need to kind of wake up and notice it. And that's vital, important to do. Just imagine what a difference it could be if you got up every morning and you say, God, this is your day. Help me do something important, something that changes somebody's life. What if before every time you started a conversation, you say, Lord, help me to listen for the spoken and unspoken needs? What if every time before you spoke, you said, Lord, give me the words that I might be helpful? What if everything we did, we say, Lord, bless this effort that it truly transforms and makes a difference as you intended to make a difference? What a different world it would be. God may be at work, but imagine if we align our wills with his, what can be accomplished? I remember a few years ago, our church was interviewing candidates for a new position we'd started, pastor of family ministries. We had a number of good candidates. We narrowed it down to three that we interviewed, and when we got done interviewing, it was evident that two rose above the others. But the challenge was we liked them both. They were both such great candidates, had such great qualifications, and had such great hearts for what we wanted that we looked around and we, we realized if we take a vote right now, we're going to end up divided, not because one candidate stands out over the other or their interest, but because they were both so blasted good. So we said, let's just stop right here. We've talked it out pretty well. Let's go home, come back in a week, but each of us need to pray fervently for God's direction and will on what we should do. And so we did. Came back a week later, and it was amazing. We, we debriefed for about 10 minutes, just trying to get a sense of where God's leading took us. We were all on the same page. We took a vote just like that. We were, our meeting lasted 10 minutes because God had aligned us. And the funny thing was we ended up choosing the person who was less qualified with the education requirements but obviously had the exact heart of what we needed. And we ended up being very pleased with that candidate. Imagine what God can do when we align our will with his. When we understand that ruach. So our prayer today for you is to embrace the ruach of, of God. Yeah, fun to say, isn't it? <laughs> God who comes to us as the wind and his creative power, God who comes to us with his breath that sustains life, and the God whose spirit goes with us everywhere, in any place, in any circumstance, so that every moment can be truly a sacred moment. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, give us this spirit. May we feel your breath into our hearts. May we look for your wind in creation. May we embrace that Ruach spirit that is so present in all that we do. Give us that very special quality that you offer to us each and every day through Christ who is our Lord. Amen.